0: Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia,
1: a look into better understanding and living well with schizophrenia. Hosted by renowned advocate and influencer Rachel Starwithers and featuring Gabe Howard. Listeners, could a change in your schizophrenia treatment plan make a difference? There are options out there you might not know about. Visit oncemonthlydifference.com to find out more about the benefits of once-monthly injections for adults with schizophrenia. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia, a Psych Central podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Starwithers, with my co-host, Gabe Howard. Last episode, we explored um, the kind of boring symptoms of schizophrenia, lack of motivation. Today's episode, we are flipping it. And we're going to be looking at psychosis. So hallucinations, delusions, all the the fun stuff. And we actually have an awesome guest, Dr. Joseph Goldberg, who's the clinical professor of psychiatry at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. And he actually specializes in researching what goes on in the brain when someone is experiencing psychosis.
0: This is like the popular one, right? This is the one that people think about when they think of schizophrenia. They often refer to it as going crazy. You're you're schizo, you're psycho. This is the language that people are using, and it's this psychosis that they're thinking about when they're talking about it. I'm not saying that those are great words. I'm just saying this is what the public has the most knowledge of.
1: Oh, yeah. And then whenever someone's like a college student, and they'll always be like, yeah, I want to major in psychology. Like, this is the stuff they're thinking of. They want to like major in crazy people, like all oh, this exciting. And then they get stuff like our last episode, lack of motivation. They're like, oh, maybe I'll switch majors.
0: I mean, lack of motivation, of <laughs> course, is very important, as we learned. Yes. But oh, yeah. you, you, you are right. Mm-hmm. This is when when I first heard Rachel Starr has schizophrenia. I didn't wonder if you were motivated. I wondered if you hallucinated. Rachel, do you hallucinate? I do.
1: I hallucinate. I always tell people, I mean, this is just my guess, like 90% of the time, just because it's like constant little things. Like, I can't just look into a mirror. I have to be real careful with my reflection. Because my mind will just kind of start manipulating it. Little things I constantly, like I'll hear ticking and scratching noises that aren't really there. I've had it since I was a kid. So I've learned to kind of live with these little ticking and clocks and stuff that I can't see. They just exist.
0: Yeah. And just to clarify, these hallucinations exist even though you are medicated under the care of a psychiatrist and are, are living well in recovery, there's still just that little bit that, for lack of a better phrase, bleeds through.
1: Oh yeah. Um, and I've had much worse, which we'll talk about in our episode today. But yeah, even being someone who, you know, would like you just said, is recovered or very stable, high functioning. My psychiatrist the other day told me that I was the most high-functioning patient she had, and not just the schizophrenic. I was just the most high-functioning, period. And I'm like, well, thank you, I think. (laughs) I was like,
0: okay. (laughs) All right, Rachel. What exactly is psychosis, and what are some common misunderstandings that pop culture creates? Let's get those right out of the way, right up front.
1: Kind of like the word schizophrenia. Psychosis also is one of those like cool words that you just want to throw in for like effect, I think. And that's what's happened with our culture. Because even I, like when I was looking up this episode, I kind of was like, what exactly is it? But psychosis is an umbrella term. Okay. So that's for anybody who is having experiences that are not based in reality. And psychosis is a symptom. It's not a disorder. So uh, I can't go to the doctor and be diagnosed as psychotic. It's a common symptom, though, of many mental disorders and especially schizophrenia. And just to be very clear, psychosis has nothing to do with psychopathy or being a psychopath, which I also was kind of like, I had to look that up because I'm like, what, what is the connection? Psychosis, symptom, while psychopathy is an actual personality trait.
0: We hear psychopath a lot, and and again, in pop culture, but I don't think that psychopath and psychopathy is something that the medical establishment spends a lot of time on, right? Correct. The only reason that it's permeated our society is because it's a storytelling device, not because it's an actual mental illness that we all need to worry about, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Again, has nothing to do with schizophrenia or
0: psychosis. If someone is psychotic or has psychosis, then it just means that their mind is losing grip on reality. Whereas when we think of a psychopath, it's somebody that doesn't have feelings for others and could be violent or reckless or act in antisocial ways. So, to drill it down, what is psychosis?
1: Psychosis is used to describe conditions that affect the mind where there's been a loss of contact with reality. So, you might also hear psychotic episode, period of psychosis. But it's one of the defining criteria for diagnosing schizophrenia, is you have to have had some sort of episode of psychosis in some way, and different symptoms of what that is. So delusions, believing things that are not true, hallucinations, experiencing things that other people around you do not, and I find this really interesting, is that also kind of what falls under that is incoherent speech or nonsense speech. So like that, for family, friends who might be kind of worried, that's what they see. So people on the outside, you might see a schizophrenic kind of saying things that don't make sense. I even saw one thing that was like slurred speech, which my speech slurs all the time. And people will think I'm on drugs or I'm I'm like super drunk at work. And no, it's just something gets off in my speech. And I just didn't realize like, oh, that's a sign of starting to lose grip of reality.
0: This is really important for friends and family members or any sort of of support people in your life, because what they see is the slurred speech, the depression, the anxiety, the social withdrawal, the word salad. It looks off, but obviously psychosis is happening internally. So this is what they see, right? All mm-hmm. of those symptoms that you just listed is what the person will see from somebody that is experiencing psychosis, correct?
1: Correct. Yes. I say with me, sometimes people actually uh, will tell me that my eyes look wild. And I don't really know what that means, <laughs> but my mom has said it multiple times. I've even... um I teach modeling and acting classes sometimes to kids, and I've had kids, like, kind of raise their hand and say that that something looked odd about my face, and they can't really tell me what, but I don't know if maybe I'm, like, more expressive and I don't realize what's happening. But yeah, so if you are, like, a loved one out there, my mom always asks, should she point it out or not? Like, she's afraid of making me self-conscious. I want to know. <laughs> um, give me a heads up that maybe things are not correct, because... I need to know, yeah, when my mind is starting to slip. So for me, it definitely helps. So those little triggers, if you kind of start to notice them in your loved ones with schizophrenia, kind of point that out to them so they can be aware, okay, I might be starting to lose grip with reality.
0: It's also important to know, though, if they argue back, this is now not the time to you know, plant your flag and be willing to die on the hill. For example, if Rachel says it's snowing inside my room, I will point out, I will say, Rachel, it's not snowing in here. Now, if she fires back, yes, it absolutely is. I will say something along the lines of, okay, well, how cold do you think it will get? And that way I can try to gauge her reaction to get her the best help possible without angering her and setting myself up as her enemy. Now that's kind of tough because people feel like, no, 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 I must convince the person Mm -hmm. experiencing psychosis that what they're experiencing is wrong. But remember medical condition, medical help. So, you know, that that's a little tough, right? Because depending on where you are in your recovery, that pointing it out may work or it may not. So it pays to be nimble.
1: And one thing I try and stress to people to help them understand about, like, how intense hallucinations and delusions can be, you can tell me something isn't real, but that doesn't make me stop experiencing it. In my, like, logical mind right now, I know that, let's say, there isn't a dark figure standing beside me, but I'm still seeing it. So all the, the logic in the world doesn't make me stop seeing that figure, I just have to kind of keep reminding myself, it's not really there. It's not really there. And do my best not to react to it.
0: Rachel, let's move on to types of psychotic episodes. I I was really surprised that psychosis is not just one thing. There's actually like subcategories of psychosis.
1: And I thought this was so cool that there are subcategories because they're ones that a lot of people experience. Most of the normal world thinks, okay, only people that are super mentally ill would have hallucinations and delusions. But one of the subtypes is a brief reactive psychosis, and that occurs during times of extreme stress. So for instance, the death of a family member, going through something like a traumatic car accident or some sort of like big event like that, a surgery... And someone can, yeah, go through a psychotic episode. It can be anywhere from days to a few weeks, but you usually come out of that with time. Then you have drug and alcohol-related psychosis. So obviously, you know, my my ravers out there, that's what we think of. But even, you know, if you've ever been under anesthesia and you're coming out and you're in that kind of loopy phase where you're like a little bit giddy, (laughs) but also you're not sure what's real or not,
0: Right. And it's it's very typical, not just of uh, we understand that people do drugs or or get drunk and they can experience these things. But it's also important to understand that it can happen via pain medication. It can happen via surgery. It's not a one size fits all. One of the things that we're trying to establish is that, that psychosis is a lot more normal than I think people want to admit. As you said, it's not just the severely mentally ill. But then, of course, the last one is organic psychosis, which is due to disorder.
1: Right. So organic psychosis that is due to some sort of mental disorder or injury. So for instance, different types of brain injuries, yeah, will then cause psychotic episodes that could be temporary or Last forever,
0: and that's really what we're talking about mostly in this episode: organic psychosis as it relates to schizophrenia and mental illness, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And it can either have a slow onset, which is actually good—a slow onset. You tend to have milder psychosis, whereas something that's very like quick and traumatic, so just suddenly being thrown into losing grips of reality, those. Pretty pretty bad psychotic episodes. Um, If someone stops taking their medication, they usually will go into a pretty rapid transition of psychosis. And those are kind of like, for my schizophrenics out there and loved ones who live with them, I feel like those are the most noticeable when someone goes off their meds, is those quick, kind of dramatic transitions. For me, unfortunately, that has happened in the past where I thought I was. You get in this mindset of oh I'm I'm better now and you'll just stop taking your meds. Don't do that, bad. But I did, and yeah, I spin out of control pretty quickly.
0: Rachel, let's talk about personal experiences. As you said, you have hallucinations, you have delusions. Let's talk about your Rachel's personal experience with psychosis.
1: I have the little baby ones all the time. Like I said earlier in the episode, like I have to be around mirrors and. If you're like, okay, Rachel, just, you know, be careful brushing your teeth. You don't realize how many mirrors there are <laughs> in real life until you like try and avoid them. So think about your reflection in things, in windows. Where I work, there's like multiple rooms that have these giant mirrors on them. And I always like kind of position myself to the side so that I'm in between them. So I can't like see my reflection because it just, it starts to mess with me. And those are just like my little baby ones that are just kind of always floating around one of the uh, really intense ones that has always stood out in my mind was I was walking through Walmart and suddenly I was like, oh my God, can they see my wings? And I was like, crap, do I have wings? I think I have wings. Okay. Are they hidden? Should, should they see my wings? And I'm like sitting there in the middle of Walmart, like having this like huge crisis in my mind about my wings. And, you know, I'm like, well, should I ask someone? Can they see my wings? Should, do I call someone? And I, I mean, this went on, I'm not sure how long, but it felt like hours of me being confused about me having wings or not. And eventually I just went to my car and I, and I sat there until I was kind of stable. Sometimes when I get in that situation and I don't get stable, I'll call my parents to come and get me. So they've had a few situations. Uh, they had to pick me up at a job once and I was hiding under the table. Which was very, for me, that was embarrassing. I hated for coworkers to see me that way. But I just, I don't know. I just crawled under the table and okay, this is where I live now. (laughs) So, and if you're like, Rachel, that's stupid. You know, why would you suddenly want to be under a table? Why would you think you have wings? I don't know. But that's what I thought.
0: When you thought you had wings, could you see the wings? Or did you just believe that the wings were there?
1: That case, I... I, I was confused. It was, I'm going to say, it wasn't like I was like, yeah, let's go run and jump off the top of the Walmart and fly away. It was more of a confusion. I was like, do I have wings? I think I have wings. They should be hidden. But it was more of just like this crisis in my thoughts of, oh my God, what do I do?
0: So that's really the difference between a hallucination, which you can see it, and a delusion, which is you feel that it's there, but you can't see it. Am I explaining the difference between hallucinations and delusions correctly? Yes. Yes. And, and both of them can be present in psychosis. Like, you can just have hallucinations, you can just have delusions, or you can have both.
1: Yes. Happening at the same time, which can really <laughs> feed into each other. Even uh, last night, I had a pretty bad episode where I was just laying in bed, like I was just, you know, trying to go to sleep, and there was something in the ceiling above me running around. Now... I know in real life there was not something in the ceiling above me running around, but I just kept hearing it. It just went on and on, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. In the meantime, there's also like this weird crackling noise outside of my door. And I can tell you exactly where it was. Like I was like, it's out the door to the right about two feet. You know, like that's where the sound was coming from. And then I have this radio that wouldn't stop playing and it's caught between stations. So I can't make out what they're saying on the radio, but that's what it sounds like. And I'm just like, this goes on for like a while last night until I finally took a sleeping pill because I'm like, this is, this is a lot. This is a lot. And it was just kind of all that stuff together just going on that I was like, I, I you know, and I don't know how to make it stop. And I knew the crackling noise wasn't real because my dog would have like been searching for a treat. Like, you know, anytime they hear like a bag or something. So it's like, I know that part's not real because whew, he was passed out.
0: When we talk about hallucinations and delusions, let's talk about what makes a hallucination because that can affect any of the senses, right? Sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. But I understand that one of them is more common in schizophrenia than all the others.
1: Yes. So two thirds of patients with schizophrenia have auditory hallucinations. That does not mean they only have auditory. That just is like the, the predominant one, the voices and whatnot. And I used to think like, oh God, I don't have those because I didn't have like a voice that just talked to me all the time. Mine are very subtle. It's more like I said, a radio is playing like talk radio and it's caught between stations. So I can't like make out what they're saying, but they're like, they're just talking nonstop. Again, no clue if it's about me or what it's just on and on and on. And I'll hear my name being called a lot, which is, it's usually my mother's voice, which is kind of freaky because like she won't be home and I'll hear it and I'll think she's like something's wrong with her. So I like go through the house searching and I'll usually end up texting her like, hey, where are you at? And she's like, oh, I'm at Starbucks. I'm like, okay, obviously didn't hear you screaming my name, but it kind of freak me out a little bit. You know, I worry that she's hurt or something.
0: That's very interesting to me because my understanding of uh, auditory hallucinations are that you hear it inside your head. But what you're describing, you would have to hear it outside your head because you you said that you feel like you hear that your mother is calling you from other rooms. So
1: Yes, Gabe. And fun fact is that people with schizophrenia usually hear audio hallucinations outside of their heads, not inside. So usually, schizophrenics, people with schizophrenia hear their audio hallucinations like around them. So for instance, they might hear something in the wall behind them. It's not inside your head like, oh my god, where is it? I hear things a lot of times that I'll be like, yeah, that came from upstairs, probably the kitchen area, by the way it sounded. So the sound, kind of like my mother's voice calling out, it comes from a specific direction, not just this booming voice inside your head.
0: Let's move on to delusions, because that's the other common symptom of psychosis. And I understand that there are two main types, but can you define delusions simply for us?
1: Delusion is a strongly held belief. That is false. And to me, there's so many things that you could apply that to. But the two main ones in mental disorders are paranoid delusions and delusions of grandeur. And the one most associated with schizophrenia is paranoid. So that's where you think like someone is after you, you're suspicious of individuals, organizations, somebody's plotting against you, tracking you. I've never had like to the extent of, you know, the FBI is after me kind of delusion, but I get very paranoid in work situations. And it's something I have to watch because I'll just start thinking that people hate me for no reason. And that they want me gone, that they're plotting against me, you know. And it's just like I, it's the same thoughts through the years I've noticed. So I've kind of um, gotten used to noticing like, okay, oh, that's the same thought I had back when I worked here and here. That's not real, Rachel. And I'm um, kind of learning to just notice when that comes up. And then delusions of grandeur, that is where like you have authority, power that you really don't. Or you think you're some sort of, like, savior. And I once had a friend who had schizophrenia, and she believed she was an Aztec god and, like, bought a plane ticket and was going to, like, straight up go to South America. And uh, her family stepped in. But she really thought that, no, this is, yeah, this is real. And to get a little personal, so the past two years, (laughs) I have been dealing with a rare flesh-eating bacteria.
0: Because just because you're schizophrenic doesn't mean that physical health isn't an issue.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's been, though, the biggest issue with it has been going to different doctors and then them seeing the diagnosis of schizophrenia on there. Them seeing that, oh, she's been on antipsychotics. And the fact that I was so healthy, the flesh eating bacteria like wasn't tearing me apart the way it, it would normally because I was healthy. And it was kind of scary because I start to, like, not believe myself either um i had some doctors saying that okay because she's on adderall she's doing the source to herself kind of like um meth addicts and and i was just kind of like i i'm not doing this to myself but maybe i am you know if the doctor if this doctor says i am then maybe i am and my psychiatrist i actually set up like a special meeting for them to evaluate me because i was like i i don't know am i causing this or not <laughs> um and they went through and it was deemed that I was not causing it it was not because of my you know antipsychotics and antidepressants and different things like that but it can it kind of freaks you out because I'm dealing with a physical thing but I'm not sure if it's real or not and it caused a lot of pain and what had happened was the bacteria it got into my facial nerves on my right side so I'm in so much pain, but I'm like, oh, crap, I don't want to go to the hospital if it's a hallucination, you know, and they're going to think I'm crazy. And I'm like, is it real or not? And turns out it was real. <laughs> I did have bacteria eating the side of my face, but it's just like I I doubted myself. I had no clue. Like, and I was scared if I'm making this up. Oh, God, like I'm gone. I need to be like impatient now.
0: And obviously having schizophrenia on your medical record made people look in a different direction. So you weren't sure if it was a hallucination or a delusion. They weren't sure if you were doing it to yourself and just forgetting. So this was another barrier to getting the correct diagnosis, which, of course, mm-hmm. is another barrier to getting the correct care. Mm-hmm. These are real realities to people.
1: Oh, yeah. And to be fair, it was a rare fleshy bacteria. That is not a normal everyday thing. And you had someone who says they're schizophrenic, like, yeah, well... Clearly, you doing this to yourself
0: is the most realistic answer. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: It can sometimes feel like another schizophrenia episode is just around the corner. In fact, a study found that patients had an average of nine episodes in less than six years. However, there's a treatment plan option that can help delay another episode. A once-monthly injection for adults with schizophrenia. If delaying another episode sounds like it could make a difference for you or your loved one, learn more about treating schizophrenia with Once Monthly Injections at OnceMonthlyDifference.com. That's OnceMonthlyDifference.com. This is your host, Rachel Starr, and listeners, we want to get to know you a little better. Please take a brief three-minute listener survey so we can better understand our audience, you. Go to psychcentral.com backslash survey 19 to complete it now. Everyone who completes the survey will automatically be entered into a drawing for a free $100 Amazon gift card, void where prohibited. That's psychcentral.com slash survey
0: 19. We're back discussing psychosis. Rachel, earlier you had the opportunity to speak to Dr. Joseph Goldberg, who is the clinical professor of psychiatry at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine about psychosis, and he's an expert in psychosis.
1: Yes. So awesome. Let's roll that interview right now. We're here with Dr. Joseph Goldberg, who is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the Akan School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City, and he has a private practice in Norwalk, Connecticut. Thank you so much for being here, sir.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, you have a very extensive background of research, which is one of the reasons we wanted you here on this episode today. You've definitely explored a lot of different situations in different mental disorders. Based on your research, what causes psychosis in mental disorders?
2: Well, probably the the short answer and the most honest answer is no one knows exactly for sure. But the, the best guess thinking is that there are particular circuits in the brain that regulate perception. And thinking and that those circuits can become dysregulated under certain circumstances they can become dysregulated when someone takes say a hallucinogenic drug like LSD or cannabis uh, or PCP they can become dysregulated when someone's in a delirium like if you're really sick with an infectious disease your mind can play tricks on you and you, you have misperceptions of things or psychosis which by definition means false perceptions or false ideas. Psychosis can also happen sometimes just because of innate problems with those circuits not caused by any drug or infection or, or, or any other identifiable cause. There may be some genetics involved people with psychotic illnesses like schizophrenia or manic depression, sometimes, not always, but sometimes have a higher chance of a family member with, with a similar condition. But at the end of the day, we, we think it's problems with, with brain circuits that regulate perception and thinking. And we have some ideas about which circuits are the ones involved and how certain chemicals in the brain regulate those circuits. But that's about as close as I think we can get to understanding what causes psychosis.
1: Across the board, What have you found more people struggle with during psychosis, hallucinations or delusions?
2: I think it depends on what what the nature of the problem is. If someone has schizophrenia, for example, uh, typically you'll see both delusions and hallucinations. They can occur at the same time, or there may be more of a predominance. Delusions probably tend to be more persistent because when you think about it, if you've attached importance to a particular idea, like let's say you think you're being followed by the FBI, or you think you're being spied on, people tend to invest some belief into that idea. And to have a, a belief break up to the point where someone could look back and say, oh, that was a false idea. Why did I think that? Usually takes more time. So delusions tend to not resolve quite so quickly. Whereas a hallucination, which is a misperception, any of our five senses could play tricks on us. Sometimes they're more transient. Not always people with schizophrenia can have long-standing or chronic hallucinations They may hear voices every day. They may hear voices Periodically, but then in between the experience of the hallucination they have delusions about the voices So for instance, I hear the devil talking to me and telling me to do bad things and when I'm not hearing the devil I'm thinking about the devil coming back so I'd say beliefs tend to be somewhat more enduring in, let's say, primary psychotic disorders, schizophrenia being the best example. In the world of mood disorders, like manic depression or just what's called unipolar depression, psychosis can happen also, but it's usually less extensive. It's, it's only in the context of the mood problems. So examples there might be, if I'm manic and psychotic, I might think God is telling me that I've been chosen for some important project Or I might have fantastical ideas that I've invented something and I'm going to be the most important person in the world. And it's all in the context of my mood. So if I have a mood episode of mania, then I I might have delusions that go along with it. Or if I'm depressed, I might have false ideas that I'm, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I deserve to be punished. Delusions tend to be more common than hallucinations in mood disorder patients. It certainly can happen if I'm depressed, I'll hear a voice telling me that I'm bad. But more, more often than not, if, if psychosis happens, if I have a break with my ability to tell what's real from what's not, it tends to coalesce around my beliefs about myself. So psychosis, you'll tend to see delusions and hallucinations more commonly, but delusions can be persistent. And in psychotic mood disorders, usually delusions are the more, more common thing, hallucinations, are a little less common
1: you talked a little about circuits and of course no one knows exactly <laughs> what's causing psychosis but have you been able to notice like a difference so i'm a schizophrenic between how my brain would let's say when i'm a good solid normal like at the moment kind of you know basic state versus if i'm having a hallucination from different research have you seen a difference in the brain of those two like situations
2: when symptoms are active, the brain areas that are responsible for processing information become more active, sometimes abnormally so. Let's take delusions, for instance. If I'm having active delusions, oh, that, um, I don't know, my, my food's being poisoned or my life is in danger, circuits that are involved in judging reality in that sense or, or that sort of make me hyper alert, sort of a fear of a predator, or fight or flight, or, or suspicion about someone's malicious intent. There's particular circuits in the brain that we know become overactive, and if, if one was measuring, say, blood flow in those parts of the brain, you'd find that they'd run a little hotter, just like if you were running a coffee maker. Uh, it might heat up, or any, any electrical device, there's more flow through the circuitry. So you'll actually see more activity, excessive activity in those areas. You can also see diminished activity in other areas. So one of the problems, say, in schizophrenia isn't just having psychosis. It's also having what we call negative symptoms or the absence of normal functioning. So that may mean, oh, having very few thoughts or having a hard time coming up with thoughts. Thoughts get blocked. They get slowed down. It's hard to muster emotion. It's hard to have attention and, and processing of information. So in other parts of the brain, in particular, an area called the prefrontal cortex, we can see on, say, brain imaging scans, less activity than normal. So areas that are running too hot uh, or are overactive, you might see more brain activity and, and blood flow. In areas that are underactive, you might see less. And then the last thing I guess worth noting when it comes to the brain is over the course of time, In persistent psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, there's an awful lot of concern that it's an illness that may be a degenerative illness, which means that over the course of many years, nerve cells get lost, they die. And that's sometimes evident on a brain scan for someone who's been ill for many, many years. One might see abnormally large areas of empty space in the brain. We all have empty space in our brain. All those squiggles that you see when you look at a picture of a brain called gyri and sulci, that's the space between your brain and the skull. And when nerve cells die off, that space gets bigger. So we call that cortical atrophy and that can be bigger in people that have been ill with psychosis for many years. And then in the middle parts of our brain, we have spaces called ventricles that's where cerebrospinal fluid flows through. And in people that have had psychosis for many years, those empty spaces get bigger because when nerve cells die off, they're replaced by empty space. So people talk about enlarged ventricles or abnormal atrophy in the cortex as signs that nerve cells have died off in someone that's been ill for, for many, many years.
1: Um, Asking, because I think it's... Very, you know, we have the media's representation, and then uh, the public tends to go with whatever the media uh, shows us with in regards to mental disorders. But I think, like, if I'm watching, let's say, uh, well, one of the new movies out, The Joker or whatever, it kind of seems like psychosis is a switch. A person is either, you know, normal, or they're out of their minds. Whereas me as a schizophrenic, so many times, you know, i I can still hold a conversation and I know that I'm hallucinating, I'm having issues. And to me, there's like different levels where, yeah, sometimes I can't leave my bed. I'm like, totally, I call it tripping, but I'm not on drugs. Uh, totally tripping. Can you talk a little about that as far as being able to still function with psychosis to the point of then not?
2: Yeah. Sure. So so I wouldn't look at the Joker as a good example of mental illness. I mean, that that portrayed a lot of very various kinds of mental illness that don't usually fit together. And I wouldn't use that as an example of of anything except a lot of fiction. But in people with schizophrenia, there can be periods of episodes where symptoms are just more prominent and then more quiet periods. So if I have schizophrenia, I may have an episode where I am especially suspicious of people or disorganized or unable to take care of myself, or I might stop eating because I think the food is poisoned, or I just withdraw within to myself with a lot of negative symptoms. And during those times, during an episode or a flare, it's certainly more hard to function. It, it becomes a source of disability if you're trying to maintain a household or go to school or have friendships or relationships or hold a job. In between episodes, the hope is that with proper treatment and good recovery strategies people are able to to have more of a life so they're able to go to work and go to school and take care of their families and some people who are you know very able to call upon their their resilience and their strength you know become people like John Nash who won the Nobel Prize or you know leaders in in their field and very effective but then there's also a substantial number of people who never really quite regain The level of functioning that they had before they first got sick some experts would say that's maybe a third to a half of people with schizophrenia who certainly can function but not quite at the level so that might be somebody who was a promising student and looked like you know the world was open to them and then somewhere in late adolescence usually or college years they might have had a psychotic episode They never fully recovered from it and then they didn't quite get back to school And then they can sometimes have a a decline from what their highest level of functioning might have been. And even if they aren't aren't having active psychotic symptoms or negative symptoms, sometimes people with schizophrenia also can have what would be called cognitive symptoms, where it's just hard to process information. Their attention is jeopardized. Their ability to reason and think through things is is poorer than, than would be the case in somebody without schizophrenia. The original name for schizophrenia was dementia praecox, and by dementia, it's similar to the idea of Alzheimer's disease, but unlike Alzheimer's disease, it's a condition that comes along in in youth and young people. Alzheimer's is in older adults, but many people still think that for some people, not all, but for some people with schizophrenia, that dementia-type course can happen, and if it's there and someone has persistent problems over time and they never really regain their personal best, then they sometimes have to revise expectations and it, it, for them can sometimes be very disabling. I'd say there's heterogeneity. There are the John Nash's. There are the more middle of the road, people that may not quite have reached the expectations they might've you know, anticipated when they were, when they were younger or before they got sick. And then there are some people who have unfortunately more of a deteriorating course over time.
1: How do different medications work to prevent psychosis?
2: So, um, we, we are still kind of in a primitive place with understanding the pharmacology of, of schizophrenia. One of the circuits that I was talking about before that's involved with, say, psychosis types of symptoms is a circuit that tends to run on a chemical called dopamine. And so for many, many decades, our medicines have been drugs that will tweak or modulate how dopamine works on those circuits. Picture a circuit like, oh, cars on a highway and by controlling the flow of cars on the highway, you make the highway more efficient, let's say. So these chemicals, you know, we used to think about chemical imbalances and that's no longer thought to be a valid way to think of these things, it's more about problems with circuitry. So the chemicals aren't imbalanced, it's just that the way they run on the highway makes the highway more efficient, Or less efficient think of rush hour versus normal traffic flow versus nobody's getting on the road too much activity too little activity so all of our medicines to some degree regulate how dopamine flows across these circuits the receptors that dopamine binds to. And there are some receptors that seem especially important for psychosis. There are some that seem especially important for motivation and for rewarding activities. There are some that seem especially important for attention and cognition. Some of the newer medicines that are coming along are meant to target specific subtypes of receptors that dopamine binds to. But sort of a limitation in our field is that we haven't really broken beyond the role of dopamine. And dopamine is important in schizophrenia and psychosis in general, but it's probably, not probably, it is not the whole story. And we know that there are other chemicals and circuits and pathways kind of higher up in the brain that tell these dopamine circuits what to do. There are pathways that come from higher up in the brain that run on a different chemical called glutamate. And there's some thinking that people with schizophrenia may have problems with specific receptors for glutamate. And we haven't yet figured out a good way to, to get to those receptors. So uh, there's optimism that in years to come, we'll have other circuits and other pathways or other ways to get at those circuits than just blocking dopamine or modulating dopamine by, by getting at some of these other higher-up circuits that control things. But we haven't, we haven't broken through there yet.
1: Where do you see pharmacological industry going in terms of treating different mental
2: disorders? Well, so as I was just saying, there's great interest in exploring medications that work on other chemicals and circuits than than just the dopamine circuits. There's interest in certain kinds of serotonin receptors that might modulate psychosis. There's one in particular called the 5-HT2A receptor. And a few years ago, a new drug came out, and it's, it's another way of trying to treat psychosis. It's been studied and gets used to treat psychosis very specifically only in people with Parkinson's disease. It's beginning to get looked at in schizophrenia. So far, the results are not as robust as people would hope, but that's a different circuit that people try to get at. There is a a class of schizophrenia medicines known as dopamine partial agonists. We have three. There's a fourth one that's in development coming along, and those are medicines that are more like smart drugs. They know which circuits dopamine runs too slow on and they know which circuits dopamine runs too fast on and it kind of modulates things. It increases or decreases traffic based on whether the traffic is too high or too low. So that's a kind of a nice innovation above and beyond just blocking dopamine all over the brain. So I don't think the field is as interested in inventing yet another dopamine blocking drug like the kind we've had since the 1970s. I think the interest is more uh, coming up with smarter drugs to modulate too much or too little and in which parts of the brain and how to get at these higher up circuits that ultimately will influence the effects of dopamine in other circuits.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Goldberg. I love this interview with you. And thank you for letting us kind of get a glimpse into your side there, the research, pharma therapies and whatnot. Thank you so much, sir, for being here on our podcast.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Rachel, another incredible interview. Excellent job.
1: And I absolutely loved how he explained the change in medication and pretty much where the look of medication is going for people with mental disorders. I like that it's no longer looked at as a chemical imbalance, but there's just so much more going on in the brain. And we did cut the interview a little short, I'll go and tell you, I asked him so many more questions about tardive dyskinesia, which is not the focus of this podcast, but just pretty much the research going on of what causes that and different things. And it's, it's all fascinating. And for me, it's all hopeful that there's so many like, I don't want to say options, but yeah, that could be available to us in the near future for treating schizophrenia. And it reminds me, so there was this mouse study that I'm obsessed with. They had all these mice and they were given hallucinogenics, so LSD. And then they showed them these several on-screen images. They recorded their brain cell activity in the mice as they were tripping and looking at these images. And so what they thought they would see was... That, like, the mice were just being, like, bombarded with all these, like, crazy stuff. And, like, the brain was just, like, whoa, overwhelmed. And actually, it was the opposite. They found out that the mice actually still saw the exact same thing as they would had they not been on the drugs. But the brain couldn't understand that information. So the hallucinogenics, the drugs, wasn't affecting what they saw. It was affecting how it perceived it. I don't know. To me, that's just it's like really interesting.
0: It does make sense because we tend to think about psychosis as it's changing what is happening around us, and that's the way that it's played out in yeah. pop culture, right? Whenever somebody you know does drugs or gets drunk or gets high or whatever, everything gets you know psychedelic and wavy. And mm-hmm. but what it's saying is that no, your brain sees it for what it is. It takes it in exactly how it is. And then it misinterprets that information. So you see blue, but your brain tells you that it's red. And why this is important, of course, is because it lets us know how to treat it, how to get ahead of it. And hopefully in the future, there will be better solutions to this process, as long as we understand what the process is.
1: Something that for me has always had like an odd comfort is that My brain is making the hallucinations. And um, growing up, I've always had a lot of very scary ones. Dark figures, just very scary imagery. Growing up religious, I was told it was demons. So that helped. (laughs) Like, oh, you're just seeing Satan manifest. Like, oh, okay. All right. That seems normal. But now, having still had these exact same hallucinations my whole life and knowing that my brain is making them, it's kind of cool. Like how fascinating like our brains are, what they can create, what they can make, you know, the fact that I know it's not real, but I hear these voices, you know, it's just, it's really fascinating to me. And to me, I don't know, it's kind of empowering to know that my brain is that smart. (laughs) <laughs> that it can do like all that cool stuff. I wish I could control it a little better, but it is my brain. It is a part of me.
0: Rachel, I, I do think that it is empowering. I think that knowledge is empowering. I think that information is empowering. You know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, even 75 years ago, this was so misunderstood that people with the illness had little choice but to believe that they were possessed or that their brains were just so broken that they would have no quality of life. Understanding the process, understanding what's going on and being able to openly discuss what's going on, it really can't be anything other than empowering. It shows great progress. And I I think that's what's important. That's why shows like Inside Schizophrenia are so important because we're talking about these things in an understandable and relatable way that everybody can figure out and participate in. Sincerely, 50 years ago, this was so incredibly misunderstood. We were just putting people in institutions and, frankly, throwing away the key. That's literal sometimes. Mm -hmm. We need to move past that because people who experience psychosis are living full and productive lives. You are complete proof of that, Rachel.
1: Thank you, Gabe. An early diagnosis of psychosis is what improves long-term outcomes friends, and family, do your best to notice things. Some of the red flags are someone who's becoming socially withdrawn. If it's always like a straight A student and the person starts performing, you know, dramatically uh, less, they start failing. That is a huge red flag. Same thing with work. Someone who's always on time isn't suddenly. They're always getting like late um, write-ups and things like that. And even just someone who's more distressed or agitated, but they can't really understand or tell you why. These are all red flags that psychosis could be starting. Notice those things, point them out, track them, but don't feel that it's your job to make the person (laughs) change. It is a medical situation. Do, however, make yourself open so that the person with schizophrenia like, totally feels they can talk to you about it. Uh, Me and my mom will go on long walks and sometimes that's when I'll tell her like this weird hallucination because I I don't want her to freak out. I don't want her to run and get me medical help. I'm just telling her, hey, last night this happened. It was just super weird. I just want to like tell you about it. Psychosis is very serious and it is a difficult symptom, but finding ways to manage it is absolutely possible and very important.
0: Rachel, as always, thank you for being so candid with us. You're welcome. And listen up, everybody. We want to get to know you a little better. Please take a brief three-minute listener survey so we can better understand our audience, which is you. Go to psychcentral.com survey19 to complete it now. And everyone who completes the survey will automatically be entered into a drawing for a free $100 amazon.com gift card. Remember, it is void where prohibited Again, you can get a $100 Amazon gift card just for going to psychcentral.com survey19 and it will help us improve the show.
1: Thank you so much for listening. We will see everybody next month. And if you haven't checked out some of our past episodes, we've hit on violence and schizophrenia, loved ones, family members, childhood schizophrenia, all different topics. So please check those out, like, share, subscribe, and we will be back with you next time. Inside Schizophrenia is presented by psychcentral.com, America's largest and longest operating independent mental health website. Your host, Rachel Starr Withers, can be found online at RachelStarLive.com. Co-host Gabe Howard can be found online at gabehoward.com. For questions or to provide feedback, please email talkback at
2: psychcentral.com. The official website for Inside Schizophrenia is psychcentral.com is. Thank you for listening and please share widely.